You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join Coach C, the USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete with the goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Uh, welcome to our third show with our guest today, country singer and former UNC linebacker Chase Rice. I had the privilege of coaching Chase through his football career at UNC and have closely followed his evolution to entertainment stardom. And so uh, welcome to the show, Chase. Good to see you, Coach. <laughs> so, Chase, uh, rather than me spending 20 or 30 minutes on the intro, uh, I'd rather weave your experiences and background into the conversation, uh, maybe stuff not online that we can read about you, the good, the great, the bad, the ugly, the stardom. And uh, so – basically want to take that approach. Uh, I'm going to start out with the fact that I met you when you came in as a freshman and uh, I believe it was 2004. Is that correct? Yeah, that was my freshman year. Okay. And then uh, I was 48 then. So I'm assuming you're what, 18? <laughs> I would have been 18. Yeah. 18, maybe okay. 19. And now I'm 30 or 66, which means you're 36, correct? That's right. God. All right. <laughs> we ain't getting younger. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. Anyway, uh, you know, you had a good frame. Uh, you could run. Uh, definitely would hit somebody in the mouth. And so our objective at that point was to to get more size and strength. And, and as I remember, that's kind of the reason that you redshirted, correct? Yeah, I redshirted. I was way too small. I wasn't ready to play college football yet. I was like 195 pounds, which made right. me – which made you my worst enemy freshman year. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. no, coach hates me. Um, but yeah, you were hard on me freshman year about gaining weight, but I ended up gaining it finally. It took me a couple of years to really get it up there, but we got yeah. up to about 230. Yeah, and then, of course, the survivor experience destroyed it all, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went away fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of like after your red shirt year, just give us, uh, you know, of course, we got plenty of time here. Give us a little bit of a summary of your football experience. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of ups and downs for sure. Um, freshman year, redshirted, but we had a we had an awesome year that year. We we beat not an awesome year. We were six and six, but we had a lot of our highs were real high that year. Yeah, um, beating Miami, beating NC State at home, both games. Teams, you know, crowd rushed the field, so. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. But then f the next year I started playing special teams. First game was at Georgia Tech, I remember. Um, I was still small. I was – I don't know what happened mentally from high school. You're – you know everything. You got your act together. You can go in and you know the game. And then you get to college and it's just like you – I lost all confidence. I was just like I wasn't a good player anymore. It was weird. Um, and I think that's just an adjustment period for some. Some don't have to do that. Some are good right away. I was not that player. Um, but I played special teams that year. And then my sophomore year was when I started realizing I could be a good player. 
redshirt sophomore year. Um, back first half of that season, just special teams. Back half of that season was special teams. And uh, I was real, you know, I was a pretty important player in the nickel package on our defense. Um, and that was – we were playing Notre Dame at Notre Dame against Brady Quinn, those type of teams. Um, Miami at Miami. Um, and I started playing good football that year. Um, I had 30 or so tackles, something like that, or some, somewhere around there. I, I couldn't tell you. But I had a solid season where I started playing ball. And then the next year, Chuck Pagano, which was my redshirt junior year, Chuck Pagano comes in with Butch Davis, and that changed everything for Carolina football. Uh, we had a new energy. Uh, and Coach P, looking back, Coach Pagano was the best thing that ever happened to me as a football player because um, I was finally mature enough to understand the game. I was smart enough, um, and I was big enough to finally play. So I was that guy, um, along with guys like Ken Tuan Bomber and Darrell Mapp and Tremaine Goddard, Deontay Williams. Um, we had a really good team. Um, and we just didn't have the coaching, you know, experience with our new coaches to really piece that year together. But Pagano changed our defense. I think we went from a hundred and something to 20th or 30th something in the nation for defense. And, but that was me from the sidelines because the first game of the season, I got hurt against James Madison, snapped my ankle, tore my perineal tendon. And, um, yeah, that was devastating for me because it was finally my time. Um, and I had to watch that whole year from the sidelines. So that was – even looking back now, like I get chill bumps just thinking of how awful that year was. Um, and it, it just – that wasn't – you know, you can't control that. But right. I was – I, I wish – I still wish I'd go back and see what that year could have been like, you know, if I had been – if I had yeah. stayed healthy. What was the heaviest you ever were? I was 240 uh, the year after that. There were like the, the – the winter after that junior year where I got hurt, I was 240 because I was not working out a lot lower body because I was, you know, I was rehabbing. Right. But I got my upper body huge. Coach Stig saw me winter workouts. He's like, damn, son, you're a right. look like an NFL linebacker. And I did finally. But that wasn't my yeah. best playing weight. I was best around 225, 230. Yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you ran well, uh, you know, were athletic yeah. and, uh, you know, had good hip rotary power and all those types of good things. And, uh, well, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of positive memories about your experience as a football player. And you uh, you sent me those videos of me squatting. Yeah. I don't know how much weight was on. It's probably almost 400 pounds on there. I think it was over 400 for reps. So Yeah, yeah I'm sure you, it was. Yeah, you were getting it done. I still have those videos. I sat down on the front porch with Garrett Reynolds um, three or four nights ago at his place in South Carolina. Wow. We sat on the front porch and talked for two nights. I stayed with him for two days and we talked about old times, talked about football. And he was another one of those guys that came in skinny, had to put on weight. Yeah. But I think when you have that mentality of you don't have everything right away, you're not, you're not the most gifted player in the world. It right. just changes your mindset. It, it should change your mindset to, all right, I got to work harder than everybody else to make sure this happens. And that was my mindset. That was Garrett's mindset, guys like that. Um, and for him, it worked out. Obviously, he played a long time in the NFL. Um, for me, it went a different direction. Well, you know, I'm hoping that uh, I can make it to a game up there this year. And I, I was hoping we could still do that competition like we did that Garrett organized. We had like 25 guys up there. And I, I divided them into two teams. We went out to that field. I brought a bunch of kettlebells with me. 
and uh, we had, we had shuttles and all kinds of different activities and uh, things went well until Cooter Arnold tried to do a, we had a max double kettlebell rack squat competition and Cooter got to about 25 and fell out. I was not sure he was okay. I thought I was going to have to try to get <laughs> so, uh, Cooter was a stud, man. You looked at him, his body just looked different. He was just cut more than most people. Um, but yeah, we had a, man, looking back, some of the, I remember the first summer, I was like, what's well, summer? I'm going home. Cause I had a girlfriend in high school and I was doing that, which was the dumbest thing I could have, you know, been thinking. Um, and looking back now, the summers were my favorite parts of, of a lot of it because the campus was to ourselves and we just got, as a team, you get real close and the workouts are fun and that builds a whole lot for the fall. Um, that was some of my best memories out of Carolina. Well, you know, I, I always had my four things, uh, accountability, work ethic, discipline, and spirit. Those were my four things. Those are still, they will always be because I think you need those four things to be successful in football and athletics, but also anything you do in your life, you know, you got to show up and work hard and have enthusiasm and have discipline. And, you know, the thing about it is, is I just believe that, uh, that with talent, uh, basically these things equal success and, the point I want to make is this is how I viewed you. You know, I, I really thought that you possessed all four of those qualities. And, uh, you know, and I, I, of course, the purpose of this show is to provide examples to people out there and other athletes of individuals who've overcome uh, a lot of things in their life and, and persevered and had these character qualities. And, and that's how you become successful. And so, uh, uh, that's the way that I viewed you and, uh, you know, going through life, growing up, how do you think you acquired those qualities? Yeah. Um, uh, that's cool to hear you say that. So I appreciate that. Um, I, I think it started probably just being the younger brother. People always talk about their parents. My parents were always awesome and there for me, but I don't think I've given enough credit to my brothers cause they were, my oldest brother, Chad, played at Duke, played football at Duke. They did not have a good run when he was there. Um, my middle brother, Casey, was set to play, you know, place like Clemson or UNCW for baseball. And then he got – he had a career ender with his knee. Um, but those guys pushed me, not by pushing me, but by supporting me, one, and by being great themselves, it made me want to be as good as them. Um, right. And so in my town, also, I had a lot of good players on our high school team. We had a lot of players that were not D1 players, but they were just good, solid football players. And that challenged me to not be the guy on the squad that was the only D1 or one of the only D1 guys. But it just challenged, they challenged me to just be the best player that I could possibly be. And the D1 thing ended up just happening for me. So I just always had people around me who were great players, great, you know, great work ethic, hard working people. And then my high school coach, Coach Poss and Coach McCurry, they were the same. It was like it was all about from the time I was a little kid to the time I was in high school. I was surrounded by people who pushed the idea ideology of work hard. Um, and I don't think a lot of people have that. And especially if you have the talent, you might lose a little bit of that because you don't have to work as hard. Um, and then the greatest ones, I think, are the ones that have the talent and work just as hard as guys like me who didn't have as much talent as, as the top players in the country. 
Um, so I was just always surrounded by that mentality. And I heard Ray, Lu- Ray Lewis say one time, and I was motivated by him a lot. He said he's pissed off for greatness. And that's what I always was. That's the mentality I kept, which was no matter what happens, I can be better. And that could also come back to hurt you, but I'm learning that yeah. later in life. No, I love that. Um, who was it that recruited you to UNC? It was Coach Powell. He was my uh, recruiting coordinator. Um, and then mm-hmm. Coach Gudikins was my first linebackers coach. I didn't really – I wasn't really close to him because I'd redshirted that year, and then he left. Yeah. And, then, and then Fig came in, and right. he was my coach my whole playing career. Gotcha. And I think he's there now, correct? Yeah, he's uh, – I don't know if he's linebackers or defensive backs. Okay. But he's there now. Okay, and also, uh, you know, just mentioned J-Bone. J-Bone's been <laughs> really supportive throughout your career. You know, what uh, uh, What was your friendship with, J- with J-Bone? He was just always cool with me because he wasn't the head equipment guy um, when I started. It was Yakel and Dom, Domo. Yeah. Um, and then J-Bone was – he was just always nice to me. And I appreciated that because when you're a freshman, that's not always the case. You kind of get, you know, put down at the bottom of the totem pole. But J-Bone was always cool with me. And then we stayed close through my career. We started talking country music and, you know, he was just, he was just a friend. And then uh, through country music and he's real close with Eric Church. Yeah. Um, And yeah, he's just a good dude. He's a good person. He actually um, proposed on stage in Greenville, North Carolina, for a show that I did for ECU years and years ago. So now he's married to her, and uh, I'm assuming they're still married. I haven't talked to him in a minute. But, yeah, that was in right there in Greenville. Yeah, you remember you came out and worked out with me and then invited all the cheerleaders to, to the pre party. <laughs> I think every one of them showed up. And uh, oh, yeah. then you drug me out on stage. So that was an interesting experience for me. So You had uh, your boots on. Yeah, yeah you, you had your uh, boots on. You're good. You recently uh, yeah. sent me a left-handed guitar. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to. I didn't know that I had to find now a left-handed instructor to be able to learn it. Uh, but yeah, that's he, what I was told. YouTube. That's how I learned. I was in. Uh, yeah. By the way, that workout you put us through, Cody was my camera guy at the time, and you had us hurting that day because it was like we were college <laughs> athletes again, and we were not college athletes anymore. But um, yeah, YouTube. I was in Granville Towers. And that was with Ben Lemming, and he'd play guitar and teach me a couple yeah. chords, and that's where I learned to play guitar. And it was mainly oh, on okay. YouTube, so that's how I learned. Okay. Well, uh, you know, before we go to something else, you know, some of your most memorable experience in Chapel Hill, uh, in and out of football. You know, what do you remember? Yeah, we had a house there on Coolidge Street. I remember just the camaraderie of the, of the boys. Uh, we had eight eight guys in the house. We had a tight team. Um, we just yeah. could never seem to piece it together to become a great team. Right. Um, but we had a, uh, and I think honestly, a lot of that was mindset. We didn't believe we could win. Like we should have believed we could win because we had the players, we had the talent, we had yeah. all the pieces. We just didn't have the belief. I don't think looking back. Um, but those are my favorite times just at the house with the guys, um, outside of football and you know we we did the bar scene and stuff but i wasn't huge huge on that because i was more focused on football 
but it's just the first time in your life where you're free from your parents. You have zero responsibility looking back. It's like the only responsibility we had was football, which is a huge responsibility in itself. Outside of that, you don't have anything. Right. Um, so it was just a freeing time, a time you get to know, you know, a guy that I sat on the porch three days ago with is still one of my best friends in the world. Yeah. And, and I've heard you have the term, you can't, can't make old friends. You know, we have memories together that I'll never forget. Um, yeah. My dad died my summer going into my senior year. My dad passed away from a heart attack. Yeah. And I remember being in the house. I remember running out of the house. I remember a week later being back in the house and Garrett Reynolds was right there. And just, I just lost it. I started crying and Garrett was right there and just sat there with me. And I don't remember the situation. I just remember that he was there and you can't, you can't replace memories like that. That's just, it lets you know, you got a brother for life. Um, when, when you got guys like that around you. Well, I have a vivid memory of when your dad passed because it had affected you so much, of course. And, uh, but the thing about it is it just didn't affect you. It affected our whole team because you had so much support, so many friends within the team. I think everybody really felt that. And, uh, yeah. you know, that was uh, that was something that you really had to work hard to overcome. Yeah. And um, I, did, I didn't give that enough credit to the detriment of my play because I just come off an injury. Um the ankle was not the same. I did not have the speed that I had. Coach Pagano was gone, which was a huge, huge loss because yeah. he was probably my favorite coach I've ever played under, period, as far as a you know a defensive coordinator anyway. Right. Um, and me and Withers did not see eye to eye. We just weren't. He wasn't my guy, and I wasn't his guy. Um, it was all these terrible things that just happened all back to back to back. Um, and I didn't deal with it well, but – but now I look back, I'm like, I was a 22-year-old kid. Why would I deal with something like that very well? Yeah. Um, and I was bitter. I was If I could go back, there's one thing I would change. Because Bruce Carter took my spot the year that I got hurt. I did not try to coach him up and teach him the stuff that I knew the year I was hurt. I was kind of not in meetings as much. And I would go back. And if I could change it, I would be in the, I'd be in the meeting rooms every day. And I'd try to help Bruce get on the page that I was on. Because he yeah. was – more athletic, but he didn't know where the hell he was going half the time. And why would he? He was a freshman or sophomore that just got thrown right. in the fire. Freshman. And and then the next year, I was bitter because um, I didn't get my job back. But I wasn't playing great football, so why would I? Um, at the same time, I, I don't believe some of the coaching and the decisions that were made and how the decisions were made were correct. Um but that you live and you learn. And, and what you don't realize as a player is the coaches also don't have all their stuff figured out either. You look up to them like they know everything. They don't know everything at that point. A lot of them are younger coaches as well. Yeah. Um, so looking back at it, a lot of stuff was handled wrong, but I learned so much through it. And, and I learned what not to do. Even in country music these days, it's like I've seen four people blow up bigger than me that were all my friends, Florida Georgia line, Sam Hunt, Luke Combs, and now Morgan Wallen's the hottest thing on the planet. And instead of looking at that as, well, man, how do I get a piece of that? Or how do I, um, how do I be as good as that? Or how do I get that kind of fame, attention, whatever money, whatever your goal is, instead of looking at it like that, I look at it as, man, hell yeah, good for them. And you support them yeah. and, and you're happy for your friends because that makes country music bigger in general anyway. And that doesn't take away from yourself. That allows you to go be yeah. yourself while cheering somebody else on 
And I learned that from football. And I learned that right there in Carolina of what not to do what I did my senior year. Well, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, Bruce Carter had really, he probably developed more than anybody else I've ever coached in that. No, he went from like a 230 pound power clean to a 405 power clean. You know, he had a, an 11 foot broad jump. He had a 40 inch vertical jump. He ended up on a 4-3-40 and he played in the league how many years? I don't know. Absolute stud, though. But uh, the, between him and Robert Quinn, the two most athletic guys I've ever played with, right. um, I'm sure there's a couple guys from Miami and Virginia Tech that I played against that were up there with those guys. But I remember Robert Quinn was playing ultimate Frisbee with us when he came in, and I did not know that he was a you know four or five-star guy. Yeah. I just remember him jumping up like, who is this guy? Like, he's another level. Him and Bruce were that same level of athletes. And yeah. So now you look back, it's like, oh, so a guy took your spot that was ended up being a second-round, first-round draft pick. Um, I can live with that. <laughs> right. Well, the one thing that I noticed, I think I coached maybe eight first-rounders during the time that I was at Carolina, but uh, pretty much all those guys could power clean more than they could bench press. So I thought that was an interesting yeah. stat. Uh, yeah, Jason, Jason Brown hit 419 and jerked it over his head. So, you know. yeah, he was a freak. Um, yeah. And he's a good person. Um, but, yeah, I was really good at power clean. So the, and we, that was all high school. I give my high school coach right. credit for that because we learned technique younger. But, yeah, you got a good point. It's, I mean, bench press squad, all that stuff, it matters. But power clean, how fast you can run, just overall athleticism is more important than, than any of those, I'd, I'd, yeah. I would say. I'd agree with that. You remember my assistant, Coach Simpson. Yeah. Brandon, he came to me one day and said, hey, boss, uh, I don't know what Chase Rice is thinking, but he got his guitar and he's down there on Franklin Street trying to be a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I opened up a case and I was playing with a guitar case open on Franklin Street. Oh, yeah. The greatest thing that I ever did in my life so far was not listen to people who told me I wasn't good enough. Yeah. The thing is, I'm not going to sit there and talk trash. I wasn't good enough. Like I, they were a hundred percent right. Like a good friend would have said, Hey man, yeah, you should probably consider something else. Um, right. But at that point, I think I was just having fun with it, but I was not good enough. Um, and honestly, I would say from 2009, which is when I graduated, to even through writing crews, uh, ready, set, roll, drink a beer, talking God, amen, which is the last hit we had, eyes on you was a big one. All that was me still not really knowing what I do best. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that I put out even close to my best music until – this next album that I'm doing, I can confidently say that the entire album's really, really good. It's mm -hmm. me. It's, uh, it's what I think it took 10 years or so for me to figure out what I'm great at. Right. And which is pretty normal. I mean, sure. luckily from, I didn't start playing guitar till I was 22. So why would I have been great at it first? You know? So right. I'm just now, I'm just now starting to figure it out. Well, I had Steve Logan on last week and I asked him about the, the stages of life because he would always talk to me about the stages of life. And so he told me about a book that he read of the, the seven stages of a man's life. So uh, I ordered it. I just got it delivered. And uh, 
I have yet to crack it open, but um, it's basically exactly what we're talking about. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very interesting process that a man goes through in relationship to his, you know, his career or, uh, or a woman goes through in relationship to you know, his or her career, for instance. So, um, so uh, yeah, that, that was an interesting thing that he mentioned to me. What's it um, called? Uh, the Seven Stages of a Man's Life. Okay. Get on that Amazon right now. Okay. <laughs> I've been reading. I've been on a reading tear lately. So, yeah. Well, Steve's been re- reading a whole lot about leadership, you know, so. Uh, um, so that's that's always something that's interested me as well. In fact, I, I did write a book on leadership that's on Amazon. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, kind of my own own ideas in relationship to how military leadership is equated. Those qualities are equated with athletics, you know, the 14 Marine Corps leadership principles. Yeah. You sent me that book. I read it. Yeah. It's great. So uh, I, it, it. it was cool for me to get to see your history. Cause I, you know, you don't think about your history before you were our coach in my mind. It's just like, Oh, this is just coach C. This is what he does. But you had a whole yeah. life before that, which is really awesome. Yeah, I, I've been through a few things too, brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, people equate a positive sense of mental health and athletics with uh, connections. And so that's a big issue these days is mental health. You know, uh, no matter who you're talking to, uh, I went through the COVID thing and that whole thing and isolation and so forth. And so the the importance of connections. And we talked a little bit about that. You already uh, talked about your connections at UNC Chapel Hill and how that was so important to you. So uh, maybe a little bit about those connections and friendships uh, within your profession. Now, you know, I I went and saw you play with Kenny Chesney and, uh, and then we, you know, you did that video and in in the video was uh, the, uh, the red tractor that he sent you. Uh, So. uh, Oh Yeah. Yeah, so the, uh, the I remember these things. <laughs> so uh, a little bit about your friendships uh, within what you do. You know, like Kane Brown, for instance. Uh, you know, who do you hang out with? How do you value those friendships? Yeah, John Party came out with an album today. Um, he's one of my good buddies. I know you you love John. Yep. Um, I, I think for me – you get in there and you try to just be friends. I did anyway, because I was so lost in life when I moved to Nashville. Um, I got out there and I just tried to, I was with Florida Georgia line guys. We were living in the same house, but I was trying to be buddies with everybody as opposed to just being myself and attracting the people that you're like-minded with. And I'm not saying you should only be around like-minded people, but to really get close to for me, that's what I've been finding lately is people with the same core values. Um, can help me become a better person and I can help them become a better person, which in return makes our product better, which is the music. Um, guys like John party. Um, Kane's a good buddy. Now we toured with him. Morgan Wallen and I have gotten real, real close. Um, mm-hmm. And that was through COVID a little bit. We've always been kind of, kind of buddies, but not really. Um, and then COVID happened and he started exploding during COVID, which was a tough thing for him to handle. Cause your only view of success or how successful am I right now was through the internet, which is a very dangerous place to be. Right. Um, and then he just, on top of that, he would even say all the, the drinking problems he had stuff like that. 
And now he's completely sober. And through the history of him and I becoming buddies through COVID to becoming sober together, because I don't even hardly drink anymore. It's just like, it's a thing that was taking me down and stopping me from becoming the best version that I can be of myself. Um, and those people like that, like I golf with Morgan yesterday, when you're, when you're being around people like that, that motivate you to be better. Um, it can, it really, really helps me focus on, all right, here's a good influence over here doing this, absolutely killing it in life, absolutely killing it with his music. How can I take that, you know, sobriety into my life to help me become better four days into me getting sober um i did a thing called 75 hard which was have you heard of it i think i have yeah i did that and the reason i did it was because i was so afraid i was so scared to death to do it when my buddy brought brought it to me and it kept coming up kept coming up and then when he said no we're starting tomorrow i was so scared to death to do it that that's when i knew i i had a problem that I needed to fix. Um, so the four days into that was a Kentucky Derby and I'm sitting here like, how am I not going to drink at the Kentucky Derby? Um, and but Morgan was there and him and I stayed together, hung together. And, and it just makes you closer as a person. So being around people like that's been helpful. A guy like Kenny Chesney, him and I have been close since 2015. Um, I, I was at a show in Bozeman a couple, like a month ago. I'm sitting there side stage hanging out and he, he, uh, out of nowhere, I'm looking at the crowd. I don't know where my buddies hit me. He's like, hey, he wants you. So he pulls me up on stage. We sing uh, When the Sun Goes Down together. And just mm-hmm. having people like that that are further along in their careers and have had more success than you have and done yeah. it the right way, that that that's just a good people to have in your life because it continues to motivate you to, to understand that I am not there yet. I haven't even close to arrived. Um, so I got work to do. And Kenny's a good example of that. Tell me a little bit more about 75 hard. Yeah, that was, uh, I hate all these internet challenges. I think there's too many, but this one was legit. Um, it, and I honestly, at the end of the day, I shouldn't say I hate them. I just personally do, but cause I think there's too many, but if it works for you and it makes you a better person, do it. Uh, no matter what it is. Um, but it's no drinking for 75 days, a certain diet that you have to stick to a gallon of water, two workouts a day, but it can be anything. It doesn't have to be pumping iron. doesn't have to be running. You can walk for in the woods for 45 minutes. The, the, the point of it is the discipline of doing it. Um, if you're tired and you haven't got your second workout in, you better get out and do a 45 minute walk or your day. You got to restart. Um, and then I think the final one was read 10 pages of a book every day. And so far now for 130 or so days now, I'd say, I've stuck to all that. And now the coolest part about it is like, I don't drink a drop of uh, alcohol before I go on stage. Um, and I can get on stage and have a beer and it doesn't send me down the spiral of all of a sudden by the end of the night, I don't even know what happened. Right. Um, because I'm passed out on my bed and I wake up the next day, like what just happened? Um, so it just taught me so much discipline that I had lost. Um, yeah. And the coolest part is it gave me confidence back to just be myself and stop just trying to please a crowd. When you walk into a room full of important people and they offer you, first thing they do is offer you a drink and you look at them and say, no, I'm good. I don't need that. Um, that speaks power right there. Um, it's just yes, a discipline it that I, it, it's a, it was a discipline that I had lost. Um, and 
it it can you start get diving too too hard into drugs and alcohol um it can get a hold of you real real quick faster than you even know it's happening um and that happened to me and and that was a huge thing for me to step up and challenge myself i talked to garrett about it yeah three days ago and i could tell he was getting nervous talking about it he was like oh man i just yeah but i got a wedding i'm going to it's like dude you're gonna always have a wedding you're going to you're gonna always have something the point is to step up the plate and i told him what you're feeling right now is exactly what i felt so at some point, I know you're going to do this, but right. you got to commit to it when you do it. And that's what I did. And I was proud of myself for the first time in a long time for, for stepping up the plate. Well, hey, man, I'm proud of you, too. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Thank it you. really is. Uh, so some of the old Cowboys, uh, Willie Nelson, Dwight Yoakam, Hank Jr., uh, Charlie Pride, uh, Waylon, when you when you go to write a song uh, like Chris Christopherson, for instance, one of the great writers, uh, do you ever kind of listen to those individuals and and, and say to, well, you know, it's a country song. I got I got to throw something in there about whiskey and mama and trains and you know whatever it takes. Uh, do you ever think along those lines? <clears throat> I used to, um, and now I got an airstream, so I do a lot of road trips. I'm looking at my playlist right now. Um, I do a lot of road trips now, which is awesome. Cause then I get to listen to podcast books or music and it's just usually me, me by myself, which I love time by myself. And, and speaking of prior to me drinking all the time to now, it used to be isolation. All of a sudden you disappear. Now it's solitude. Now you can be by yourself and you can talk to God and you just, and you just sit in silence. If you get to that point, you're, you're heading in the right direction. But I used to listen to all those guys. Um, and what I started finding was I, even through listening to the motivating songs that like on the road again, is probably my favorite Willie song of all time. That's what my grandpa used to always play. Uh, but my mindset used to be, okay, how do we write this song? How do we write this song? How do we do my own version of it? And now I've learned you don't write it. It's already been written. So listen to it, love it, enjoy it. So now I listen to that stuff just out of pure enjoyment. Yeah. And that, and now I just try to write from life experiences. There's a song in every conversation. Um, Brian Kelly told me that once from Florida Georgia Line, and and uh, I took that to heart. And oh, yeah. when somebody says somebody says something, I write it right here in my notes, and uh, and then I'm writing it later. So this whole new album was all just ideas that people said to me, and I actually took a lot of time off from listening to music. Period, because I wanted to write my album how I would write it from my perspective instead of guys like Willie or Christopherson yeah. or Waylon or Cash or, or Pride or any of those guys, or even up to George Strait, Garth Brooks, all that class. Um, I'm trying to make my own impact now um, yeah. with my own songs. So that this next record is going to do that because it's real good. <laughs> I'm fired up. Ooh. Well, just uh, kind of a little bit of a, you know, when I watch the show Survivor, I always wonder, man, is this, this for real or what? Or is this- <laughs> TV or, uh, but then when you came in the weight room looking like you weighed 150 pounds, I was like, man, that must be uh, a little bit about that experience. Yeah, that was brutal. Um, I was, I never really watched the show, so the mind games and that that part of the game, I was so bad at because I'm the type of guy that's going to kind of tell you how I feel, and the producers hate that because that doesn't create drama. Yeah. Um. So the mind games and stuff was really hard for me 
it, like just straight up telling somebody a lie when you have their trust and you look them in the eyes like i was not good at that and that's i'm proud of that like i don't want to be good at that um and but the hardest part was the days off where you're just you start getting in your own head i realized for me i was a little bit of a head case like you're overthinking everything bro but at the end of the day there's a little bit of that that's healthy because they don't want you there by the end of this thing and they want the money for themselves that's the point of the game so that was the hardest thing for me was the mind games of seeing what was going on, especially on days off and trusting what people were telling you because you can't trust them. The whole point is to lie. Um, and then the, uh, the food, the food was like, yeah, I looked like a, I looked like you saw me when I was a freshman walking yeah. into the weight room, but even worse, I was, I got down to 178 pounds or 172. Yeah. One of those, I can't remember the number, but, it was just the the food, the hunger goes away, but then the energy to just get up and walk down the beach was was awful. It's like, oh, I got to walk all the way to the other end of the beach. It takes everything out of you. You have no energy. But, man, you started the cravings for – we were making pizzas with Oreos and ice cream on them in our heads. Like you come up with some crazy ideas when you're on that thing, that board, and that hunger. It's real. I hear you. Well, uh, Interesting. So after that, tell us a little bit about the challenges moving forward through uh, NASCAR and then, you know, into Nashville. How, how did all that uh, take place? Yeah, I was uh, Chris Berkey, who was a G at Carolina. Yeah. He, he asked me to come check out Hendrick Motorsports. And when he said Hendrick Motorsports, I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's the best race team in the world. <laughs> so... I went down there, tried out for the team. It was me and nine other guys or nine total. I can't remember. Um, and they just tried out these new athletes to um, just see if we could be better and faster than the other guys. And turns out we were. Within a month, first first pit stop we did, Chris gets in there. He was the guy in charge of the new guys coming in. He wasn't part of the main pit crews except for on race days. First uh, – First day, he's like, all right, guys, we're going to do – here's the tools. We did a couple – showed us how to do it. Let's do a pit stop. I think it was like a three-and-a-half-minute pit stop. Like right. lug, nut, lug nuts are flying everywhere. The car's dropping. It was a disaster. Um, and then a month later, we're doing 13-second pit stops. So that's how fast we learned. And that was the, my that was my first experience in my life. Um, besides a little bit of freshman year at Carolina where I felt like I was a little outsider, but I did that to myself because I was missing my high school girlfriend, homesick type thing. Right. And then I glided right into the team and I became part of the team finally. But that was the first time in my life I felt like I was unwanted. I felt like nobody wanted me there. I didn't even want to be there. I hated it. We were living in a hotel. Um, and I wasn't becoming great at something because I wasn't putting in the effort. I was half-assing everything which wasn't my character. That wasn't me as a person. Uh, like I said, I'd just come off of losing my career as a football player when <laughs> if a couple different things go my way, I was a good enough player to play in the NFL. Yeah. Um, we're losing my dad. I was coming off all these tragic things. So I was just miserable. Um, and I, but I just learned to play acoustic guitar. So I'd go home every day to the hotel. And that was the only thing I, it was, I can honestly say it was the only thing I had in my life at yeah. that time which is crazy to be that low in life to where you only have 
I didn't have friends. I didn't have a career that I wanted to do. I had a guitar and that was it. And, and the only way for me to deal with losing my dad was writing songs about it. So I did that. I lived in a hotel and I wrote songs every day. Um, and then weird enough. Um, and by the way, we're winning championships. Like on race day, we're helping out with the, the cup teams. We're going, we're finally getting, becoming solid. I finally started becoming better at it because I started becoming group with the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and gave into that. Just understand, like, I don't have to be the the outsider here. Like, I, these are these are good guys. I can join them when they go to the bar for dinner or whatever. Um, but we were winning championships. We won two championships with Jimmy Johnson in the time that I was there. And then, um, Survivor called. It was Amy. Amy. Can't remember her last name. She played volleyball at Carolina. She texted me randomly. Okay. And I was and I was back in Chapel Hill just visiting for a football game or something that weekend. And she said, Would you want to be on Survivor? And I was like, my response was sure, why not? Like I'd never watched a show. That's a weird text to get. It's probably not gonna happen. I don't even know what this is about, but sure, why not? And then she ended up getting me in touch with uh with the producers and all that and I was half-assing that. Like, I wasn't doing anything in life full tilt. I was just – all I wanted to do was write songs. That's the only thing that made me happy. And I kept going down that road. They flew me out to L.A. Uh, but I started thinking in my head. I was like, huh, winner of this gets a million. I know for a fact you get money. Other than that, if you don't win, if I get on this show, that gives me a perfect opportunity to leave – this perfect job that my dad would have never let me quit if he was alive and get out of this situation. That's too good for me to quit. Cause I cannot quit this job because it's too good, but this gives me an out. And that was my whole mindset going into survivor was to, to get the out and it worked to perfection. Somehow it's like, yeah. dang, that actually worked. Cause I came back from survivor, did the show, <clears throat> went to Charlotte, saw coach Berkey. And I, he looked at me, he was like, dude, you can't do it this job right now you're 170 pounds go back home get healthy and uh and come back in a month or so and we'll get you trained up and we'll get you back on pit road and the next day i didn't go home i went to nashville because i wanted to visit brian um who had visited i actually got a fight a few months before that and got suspended from nascar um i was just an angry person at this time in my life um, but I visited Nashville once, so I wanted to go see Brian and his buddy Tyler again. They had this place called the Fun House right there in Green Hills, and I visited him. And that night, um, I looked in their house. It's like they had an extra room. I said, "What's that? What's that all about?" I said, "Oh, our buddy Eric got depressed. He moved home. Tyler's already got a roommate though." And we all went to Ten Roof that night, which is a bar on Demumbering Street, and got a little blitzed up. And by the end of that night, drunkenly, we all decided that I was going to move into the house instead of Tyler's friend. And that's how I ended up moving to Nashville. I went home the next day, got my stuff, moved to Nashville. And Brian and Tyler were starting this new band called Florida Georgia Line. Wow. And it wasn't six months later, we wrote the song Cruise. Yeah. And it was it was off to the races, Um, which was awesome for success sake, especially for them. But for me, it took me down a road of, oh, this new, they call it bro country now, looking back. Yeah. This new version of country music, it's, it's in your face. It's a party all the time. 
I'll do that. I've never partied my whole life. You know, I took college seriously. I'm in this new phase of my life. I don't care about anything. Let's go. And that's what I started doing. And that's what happened with Ready, Set, Roll, Gonna Want It Tonight, that entire Ignite the Night album, which went platinum. It was like the biggest blessing and the biggest curse at the same time because I was having so much success with something that I didn't even truly love deep down. I loved writing songs and I had songs like Jack Daniels and Jesus, Carolina Can, that were real and meant something, but that wasn't what the success was happening. It was happening over here with this party stuff. Um, so it took me a while to get out of that phase, even to this next record. You're gonna hear on this next album, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, it doesn't come out till January, but you hear stuff in this album that I've never addressed with my dad, with with just life. It's just right. not the same old thing. You're going to hear a lot of stuff that you're like, dang, that doesn't even sound like you. But it, it's 100% sounds like me. It's just the real me as opposed to this front that I think I had to put on to try yeah. to figure life out. Yeah, I still got that nice plaque you sent me when you went ready, set, roll uh, up in my man cave. It's still looking pretty good up there. So that was yeah. that was really nice of you to send me that. Uh, well, I knew all my other buddies were sending you NFL jerseys, and I couldn't yeah. do that. So <laughs> I was like, all right, I got to send something here. That's right. Well, so uh, you know, one of your aspects, one of the aspects of your career is uh, tough to follow. Of course, is your relationship history and. Uh, of course, you can read about it. Uh, we can read about Kristen and Allie and Victoria, and you know the lyrics to uh, many of your songs are referencing different types of romantic endeavors. So, uh, you know, when you uh, when you sit down to write a song, uh, are you thinking about how it's going to increase your female fan base, or is that just coming from the heart, from experiences? Uh, some of them are from the heart, from experiences. Um, like Eyes on You was, I would say there's three different relationships in that song. Uh, but I definitely had a phase there where I was like, all right, how do you just get a bunch of girls at shows? Which is the opposite of who I am as a person. Like, that ain't happening anymore. So I just want to yeah. be clear on that. But um, I'm looking at my list right now. It's wild. There's not one love song. There's songs about love but there's not yeah. one love song about a person, which is really cool. Um, <clears throat> Cause that's not where I am in my life. Those relationships, the, the Kristen thing, that wasn't what anybody made it look like. The Victoria thing from the Batser, I'm never doing reality TV again. Cause I was like, they'll just use you for whatever entertainment that they need. Yeah. That wasn't what it looked like. Um, there's, there, I've had relationships since college. I've only had probably four real relationships that I was dating somebody. Yeah. And it meant a lot to me. And I'm terrible at relationships because I've I've been so selfish the last 10 years trying to figure out my own life and do what I want. Now I'm finally learning that if I want a life with someone uh, forever, that I'm, I'm going to have to change a lot of the way I'm living. So I'm trying to get ahead of that by changing the way I'm living now um, as opposed to before I get into something real, real serious. But I've never had it. I've also never had anybody that I looked at and I was like, man, I have to be with this person. Like I cannot live the rest of my life without this person. And I don't really want to get married unless it's that. Yeah. Um, uh, and I just, I know too many guys that sit here and say, don't ever get married. It's terrible. Yada, yada. And I don't believe that. And then I know this other side of guys that are the healthy men in my life that are good uh, mentors that they're realistic about it. Like, no, it's awesome, but you got to put in the work. So 
I'm just trying to get to a point where I'm ready for that. And that's doing my work that I need to do now. But the song side of it, half of it's real. The other half is just gotcha. whatever happened to pop up in my mind that day. Well, I would say, you know, probably the majority of those types of songs that uh, in your repertoire that I've listened to are more maybe inflicting heart heartache instead of uh, experiencing heartache. Uh, but uh, I did listen to Key West in Colorado. Now, I said, now, is that about you experiencing some heartache or is that just a, a song? Yeah, no, that's real. Um, that's a trip I took with my ex-girlfriend. She, uh, we did it. It was just a, we couldn't get back to Nashville from Key West to get all our snow stuff and go out West. So we just went straight there and I freaked her out, but I was all for the adventure. Um, then I redid the trip because I wanted to kind of replace that memory. Um, and that was a hundred percent real. That was about one relationship that I had and, and forcing myself to kind of let that person go. Um, yeah. I'm a lover deep down. I just, have this hardcore shell that people don't see the real me through. And that's probably me just trying to be tough or something. I don't know. But when you get to know me, there's a lot more behind the, the, the shield that I put up than what you see. Right. Um, and I think you see that in this next record. I'm looking at this list. There's a lot of vulnerability on it. Um, from all dogs go to hell, Key West in Colorado. Now I'm also the king of, um breaking up with somebody and I'm the one that ends it, but then they feel like I'm the one playing the victim. It's like, well, okay, well, you shouldn't have dated a songwriter because I'm gonna I'm gonna write. Right. I get it. You don't have that avenue, but I do, and that's how I work. So right. Um I wouldn't say I'm the victim on this album at all. I'd say I'm just I'm finally figuring myself out, figuring my life out and writing songs about it. And I'm I'm very proud of this one. Gotcha. I can't wait to hear it. Uh, I have uh, read those lyrics to the one song at least. Uh, so I guess we can say maybe that uh, as we go through these stages of life, that uh, the songs that you write, that the lyrics change based on what you're experiencing. And that's that's kind of what I see a little bit when I look at all the George Strait songs. Yeah, I mean, that guy... He's the king for a reason. I, I've really, really appreciated his music more the older I'm getting too. Yeah. Um, but I, I think my one thing I have done a good job of is I've stuck to my guns and where I was at that place in my life um, through the bro country phase with Ignite the Night. Um, then after that, I believe it was Lambs and Lions. And then after that was uh, the album that I just put out. I feel like I'm missing an album, but whatever. Um, it slowly started to become more me, I think. And then you see bits and pieces of it through every album. Yeah. And that, that's all leading up to where I am right now. What I discovered through the last, through COVID was I'm best. So trap guys came in in 2010 ish, um, and changed country music for the better, for worse, they changed country music and everything started becoming slick pop down the middle. Every song started sounding similar. Yeah. Um, and what I what I discovered through COVID was I loved sitting back on a guitar, taking it back 10 years before. It would just me and a guitar on my couch or me and a guitar in my breakfast room. And I wrote three songs by myself on this album um, that were just me and a guitar. 
And it was like, man, I feel good again doing this. And, and then I, but we would not record a song unless I learned it on guitar first. If I didn't, wasn't happen to be the guy playing guitar that day, I would have to learn the guitar first. Cause what we found was if I didn't want to learn the song, well, it's not good enough. Let's not put it on the album. Yeah. So, um, that's what this album's full of is me playing acoustic guitar first. There's a song called bench seat. That's actually about, um, it's, it's about Garrett. Um, and he went through a phase years ago and I'll let him tell this story more than more and more accurate than I can. But he came to my house and, in uh, and friend Tennessee and he was depressed as I've ever seen him. He wasn't himself. So I went up the night, flipped the light on. I said, what's going on with you, dude? And he said, I'm fine. We're good. I'm just figuring myself out. And I said, dude, I'm one of your best friends. What's actually going on with you? And he started crying and he lost it. And that was four years ago, four or five years ago now. And he was in very, very bad shape, worse shape than I knew he was in. But, um, fast forward four years, he got the help he needed. I was there for him. A lot of people were there for him. He did the work. Um, and he was at my house and we were sitting around having some drinks around my fire, having an absolute blast that night. And we came up with this idea about a guy driving around his truck with his dog, which just sounds like the most cliche country song ever. But I te- you know, I called him three days later. I said, dude, I wrote it and you're going to be shocked. It's one of the best songs I've ever written in my life. Cause wow. it was my heart pouring out into a song. Yeah. And it's, and I'm, I'm not really going to let people hear that song until they see the music video with it, because the music video explains everything that I was seeing the day that I wrote that song. Mm. Um, And it's a confusing song. If you don't see the video with it, I think, unless you really listen to it. Um, But that's a story of, of Garrett and how his dog kind of saved his life at the end of the day. So. Well, that's, that's a a big man crying right there. And uh, yeah, you know, he started a business with a dog park. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. out of it now, but it was called Fetch in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and now he's living in South Carolina. He's got a, got a girl that he loves and, and uh, hopefully, hopefully ends up marrying her. And he's just in a really good place it, to see it go from where it was to much better four years later to where he is now. He's Garrett again. And he, yeah. he's, he's going to be a brother for life for me. And uh, that started right there at Carolina. So yeah, that's a full circle moment, man, that uh, I'm I'm really glad to see where he is in life. Well, the last girl I saw him with should definitely bring joy to his life. In my opinion, she was, where was this? I I saw him with a girl when we were, uh, went to that game uh, in Chapel Hill, you know, when we had that competition and went to the game. Oh Uh, yeah. I, I don't very, know who that would have been. Very nice, very nice, good-looking girl. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's who he's with now, but the one he's with now is absolutely amazing. I actually did a road trip, my music video for uh, Key West in Colorado. Go check it out because <laughs> you'll see Garrett's in it. I'm oh, walking okay. on the beach. I'm having to get my second workout of the day. I'm like, I'm going to go for a walk on the beach, clear my head. And I turned left instead of going right, which is where I was going to go. I tell my camera guy who's videoing because he's videoing the whole yeah. trip. He said, let's go left. I said, all right. We start walking the beach and I look up. I'm like, what the? And he does the exact same thing at the exact same time. We look at each other 40 yards away and wow. he's on the beach in Florida. And I was just like, well, wow, man, crazy. what's up? Gave up, gave him a big hug and we hung out on the beach that night. 
um, played beach night beach bocce ball. He's just one of my best friends for life. And uh, yeah, he's in that video. That's cool. So I wanted to mention football culture. Uh, And the reason that I want to mention is because of alcohol consumption. And, you know, I played football in college. Uh, Alcohol consumption, of course, was was very big. Uh, during my time, I was in college uh, pretty much across the board. But I was a guy that I didn't really like drinking during the week. But, you know, if, uh, if we lost a game, I probably wouldn't drink. But if we won a game, you know, I was looking to celebrate. And uh, got into that in my coaching career also. Kind of like the same thing. We lose a game, I, don't, I just want to go home. But if we win a game, I'm, I'm ready to stay out all night. So, I mean, that, that was kind of my deal. And uh, I don't know. I mean, do do you think in the football culture uh, a lot of people start to become addicted to alcohol through that experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, It's hard because you don't want to sit here and tell these 21-year-old kids not to drink. Right. Um, And it's like, yeah, you you also don't want to promote them to dive into it because I I do know how dangerous it can be. Um, I was the same way as you. I wouldn't drink during the week. I'd only drink on Saturdays um, after games. Um, And we'd go out. I didn't drink at all freshman year. Yeah. Um, But I think alcohol, you just got to – for me, it's it's a slippery slope because you can go down it and you can be drunk all the time or drinking all the time, and then you get drunker. You need more to get drunker. Um, And then you stop becoming yourself. And it's a depressant to your brain anyway. Yeah. so if you're losing control, the thing is, since I stopped stopped doing 75 hard and started drinking again, I haven't been hammered once. It, and I don't want to. That's the coolest part is like, I want to remember the time that I'm having. I want to remember the people that I'm around having a good time. Yeah. And I lost that. I, all I wanted to do was be as gone as you could possibly be. So yeah. if you're doing that, first, first of all, if you're drinking a a lot as in a lot during the week, you know, a bunch of different days. I think it's a problem. If it's getting in the way of your work, it's a problem. If it, if you're relying on it ever for, to have a good time, it's a problem. Um, and people just don't see it like that because it is fun. It's a blast to do. Um, but if, I, I'd say the biggest thing is if it's getting in the way of your relationship with your friends and family, getting in the way of your work, cut it out and, and that doesn't mean cut it out forever so many people are like i'm cutting a cold turkey and if you do that that's fine do it um but just see if you can do it give 30 days yeah. 30 days i'm not going to drink at all just see what happens i guarantee you start seeing the the benefits of it because alcohol is a fun thing to do but if you if you lose yourself to it it'll wreck your world oh that oh the biggest tragedy that i experience through my coaching career at the collegiate level was, uh, you know, because it was against NCAA rules, you know, seeing so many guys lose their scholarships and go by the wayside for smoking marijuana. And, uh, of course, it's legalized in so many states and all this type of thing now, but uh, it's still against the NCAA rules. And uh, I've seen some, you know, I just saw some really good athletes with great potential go by the wayside. And I don't know if it was because they just didn't realize what they were doing uh, uh, or what it was. And then, it, of course, the rules kind of changed from university to university, how you handle in-house. 
And, uh, but uh, I really think that that was, uh, was somewhat tragic. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, uh, Darius Bowman. Um, and I actually talked to a head coach, national championship winning coach, who won a bunch. Um, and I was talking to him recently. And he was talking about that. He was because he was so hard on his players about marijuana. And finally, he asked one of his players, he said, Why are you, what's up with this, man? Why can't you just stop it? And the player looked at him dead serious and said, Coach, I didn't have money to drink when I was in high school when you want to go let loose a little bit with my friends. But my mom in her drawer had a little bit of marijuana. And that was a way for me to escape and release whatever he was trying to get away from. And I'm not saying you should always run from that stuff, but um, he couldn't afford to do anything else. So that's how he yeah. started smoking. Um, and I, I'm going to say the same thing about that as I would about alcohol. If it gets in the way of your relationships and if you're relying on it, you got to chill out on it. Um, but for me, it's like, I can, I can promise you this. I give you a list of, a list of paper of things that I've done when I'm drunk. Um, and you're going to need to sit down and get your reading glasses and get ready to read that book. Yeah. I can give you a sheet of paper of things that I've done when I've smoked and it is a lot less stuff. And I'm not saying that you should go smoke, but I am saying that it, to me, it, it's, uh, it's, I think it's less tragic on your body than alcohol. Um, and less tragic on your mind, but I don't think any of them are great for it. If you can avoid all of them, stay the hell away from all of them. Um, but yeah, man, it's uh, like I said, like you just said, it's if it's getting in the way of these players being able to have a career, stop it. You can yeah. be addicted to marijuana. And if you don't think you can be addicted to marijuana, I've been in rehab a bunch and you can be addicted to stealing. I heard a lady telling me a story about her stealing. She was so addicted to stealing stuff. And yeah. And that's no chemicals going into your body. So if you're taking in chemicals in your body in any form, you can be addicted to it. And even if you're not taking in chemicals, you can be addicted to anything. And if it's messing up your world, stop doing it. And if you can't stop doing it, there's your answer. You're addicted. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'll just make reference to a few of your songs, uh, you know, like Jack Daniels and Jesus and uh, sitting here drinking beer, talking God, amen. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is something that seems to be a topic many times throughout the country listening. And, uh, you know, Miranda Lambert, uh, interesting the words to her one song, because uh, I heard Jesus, he drank wine, and I bet he'd get, we'd get along just fine. He could calm a storm and heal the blind, and I bet he'd understand a heart like mine. So, uh, you know, that was kind of some interesting lyrics there, you know. Yeah, I think, well, if you want to, uh biblical scripture uh it basically just says don't get drunk off it um and that's a pretty pretty good rule to go by i mean it's yeah. it's like anything else in life if you're moderating it and it's not taking control of your life it should be you should be just fine on it no matter what it is right um and i think that's i love I love having drinks with my friends. That's what drinking beer, talking God Amen is about. It's not about going out and getting absolutely wrecked to where you're passing out and you don't know what you're doing that night. It's about sitting around a fire with drinking beers with your buddies. And that's what Garrett and I did that night. And we came up with great ideas and I actually wrote my favorite song on this album about it. The bench seat song that I just told you about. Um, you can do these things and still be responsible and still be a, 
good person to other people and, and treat people well and not let it completely take over your life. It's all about moderation um, for all this stuff. And uh, I'm trying to look at the drinking songs on this next record. There's not many. There's one. Okay. And it's called, it's called Bad Day to Be a Cold Beer. <laughs> so if I'm only going to put one on, I'm going to go for it. But that was Justin Thomas, actually, the golfer. Yeah, said that to me one day we were golfing. He was like, boys, it's a bad day to be a cold beer. And we had to blast that day. And But that's another example of that day was awesome. And then right. the next day it happened again. And the next day it happened again. And then you're a year in and you're getting drunk every day. Like everything just needs to be in moderation, in my opinion. At least that's my experience lately. And it's yeah. allowed me to become a better person in general. Like I, I'm fired up to wake up every day and – and try to do the best that I can that day, whatever that is happening. If it's a day off, I'm fishing, hunting, try to be the best of that. If I have a show like I do tonight, I'm yeah. going to go out there and I'm going to crush it. I don't have a sip of alcohol before I go on stage because I know I'm better without it. So don't let it get in my way. Um, interesting part about it all, the one part that I found that was weird, not hard, but weird, that shouldn't be, it's elementary, was going to sleep when I stopped drinking. It was like, wait a minute. So I've got to brush my teeth, wash my face, take a shower, whatever you do, and then just go to bed, I guess. Like I was so far gone that that concept was a foreign concept in my mind because all I was doing was passing out. And I got so used to passing out every night that the elementary thought of brushing my teeth, washing my face, and going to bed was right. uh, it was foreign to me. Interesting. Well, uh, you know, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, it's coal mining. Everybody's a coal miner. Most of my family were coal miners. Uh, there's a bar every two blocks. Uh, people it's, it's wintertime. There's snow everywhere. People are socializing in the bars. I mean, that's, that's where you see your friends. That's where you see everybody. And, uh, uh if you're going in a coal mine to work, you're going to do a boiler maker before you get out and you take a shot in the beer and then go to work, you know, cause you're going a couple miles underground. And, uh, that's kind of the, the, uh, environment that I grew up in. And so, uh, you know, drinking was part of the culture, of course. And, uh, you know, when, so when you get to, to my age, you're trying to get to heaven. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you know, you're trying to live right. You're trying to do what yeah. God wants you to do. And, uh, you know, I'm real heavy in the church right now. Uh, I'm, uh, this is the really the purpose of the podcast. It's the purpose of my website, uh, armoredlife.org. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it. But uh, I, I do think you go through stages in life and different experiences. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, everybody can't live a perfect life. I mean, I go to church. I talk to a lot of people and none of them drink at all. And, they, and that's awesome. And I think I can. I can accomplish that as well. Um, I think it's really important to take care of your body because the body is a temple. And, you know, that's, that's a very strong biblical concept. Uh, so I'm all about that. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think the biggest thing that I've learned through just the last 10 years, the biggest things that I've taken is going to church. Um, all that is great. 
but the best thing that I've ever done is every single day I'll wake up and I'll spend my time with God in the mornings at my farm or on the, uh, or here on the road. Yeah. Um, I haven't done it today, so I'm going to do it when we're off of here before the yeah. show tonight. Um, cause I was in a rush to get, uh, where we were this morning, but to, for me to take that time and actually have a relationship with God, as opposed to just talking about him, like I'm a good person. Right. That doesn't exist. Like I've done so many things in my life that I can sit there and be like, Oh man, I wish people didn't think that about me because if they only knew you down, that's not who I am. That's just an addiction that I've got or a problem that I'm still trying to work on. Yeah. But I can I'm talk right to God. You, yeah. I'm right there with you on that. I can sit there and talk to God and there's no shame in that. Cause I know that he yeah. loves me and I know that I have that relationship with them. Yeah. And then another thing someone told me, um, and, and for me, it's in the name of Jesus too, by the way, it's not it, God. People talk about God for me. It's Jesus, yeah. the son of God, Holy spirit, the Trinity. Um, that's very real okay. to me. And another thing that lady told me one time, which was the hit me hardest I've ever been hit with one sentence from anybody. She said, you want to know what my definition or what a version of hell would be for me? And I said, what? And this was, I was at rehab actually when she said this. she said for me to die, actually go to heaven and look God face to face in the eye and for him to say, okay, Welcome to heaven. Now we're going to sit down. And I'm going to show you an entire clip of what your life could have been like if you'd have gone by my plan. Right. And when she said that, I was just like, oh, so that tries to hit me every day. Like, yeah, even when I know I'm screwing up, like it's I, I can't screw up anymore and not have it be in the back of my head or even in the front of my head. Like, this is stupid. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'll still do it because I'm we're humans. We're weak half the time. But the stronger you get and the stronger you get, the more you can say no to stuff like that the less weak you become. And yeah, it's the same, same as you talk about armor. It's the same way. The other way, the, the more you, the more you slug, the more you smoke, the more you do all this, a piece of that armor falls off and you start becoming weak as hell. So yeah. Well, I'm, I'm proud that it's hitting you at 36. It hit me at about 65. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the, uh, you know, kind of, one more major topic here is that I just want to, to talk about the, what you see your legacy to be and what you really want to be doing in 20 years. And, uh, you know, how, how do you see that? Um, well, wildly, I wrote it was an athletes in action camp when I was at Carolina, probably sophomore, junior, somewhere around there. And. They had us write down where you see yourself in five, 10, 15 years. I've got this sheet of paper still in my Bible. It said five years, I want to see myself playing in the NFL. Um, 10 years, I think it'd be cool to pursue a dream of being a country music singer, which was absolutely the equivalent of saying I want to go be an astronaut because it was I wasn't that wasn't part of my plan at all. I just wrote it down because uh, I just thought it'd be cool. And so the cool part about the NFL thing is I did not play in the NFL conventionally as a player. Um, but I said this to my buddy when I told him this story and he said, so you haven't played in the NFL? I said, no, dude, this, it wasn't part of my deal. He said, but you just told me two minutes ago, you were talking about when you played with Kenny Chesney at the Indianapolis Colts stadium and coach Pagano came and he got to see you play in front of 75,000 people. That's not playing in the NFL. And I was like, Pretty good perspective. Appreciate that. So that's been checked off in a different yeah. way. The music's happening. Um, 
And then the final thing I wrote was, I want to be a, a husband and a, a dad. So that's the biggest thing that I've got left to do in my life. Um, right now I'm focusing on the music and the other thing and, and trying to become a better person every day. Um, and I think the rest of that will come. Yeah. Well, Coach Pagano uh, assured me that he's going to be on this podcast in a couple of weeks. We'll see. Because uh, right now he's on Pat McAfee's podcast, I think, this past week or something. That, that podcast is a lot different than mine, you know, as far as what I'm trying to do. So, uh, I've done uh, Pat's. I did Pat's a few years ago. It was probably a lot different conversation. But I don't know what Pat's up to these days, but I think he's killing it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping that I can get him on. And, uh, I'm definitely going to let him know that you – Mentioned him quite a few times in this podcast, and hopefully he'll listen to it. But uh, <laughs> he's, so, he's the best. He's the best football coach I've probably ever played for. I don't know what it was about him. He he brought the best out in me. I don't know if he brings the best out in every player, but he brought the best out in me, and I'll I'll never forget him as a coach. Well, I coached with him two two different times at ECU. We we had some some great celebrations of victories. And then, you know, my relationship with Butch Davis came because of my friendship with, with Chuck. I interviewed at Miami and I turned the job down once and Chuck got me down there. So when Butch got the job, I had no idea if he'd even retain me after I turned that job down. But, uh, but fortunately he did. And I think Chuck's influence helped that some, so I'm always appreciative of that, but you know, it's, uh, Somehow I survived seven head coaches over my career, which I'm, I'm all, I'll always be proud of that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I was glad about it because I think the, the I can't remember who told me this one day, might it? But I just remember the the coach you're around the most when you're at you're playing football is not is not your position coach, your coordinators, or any of that. It's it's the strength coach. That's who you right. spend most of your time with. And you went from pushing me to gain weight, and you were not happy with me because I was not gaining the weight. Yeah. But I think over time you saw and you brought out in me the ability to overcome whatever was going on and not allow me to gain weight to say, I'm going to do this come hell or hot water. Yeah. I'm going to make this happen, and I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get bigger. I'm going to get faster. Um, and you brought that out of me, so I always appreciate appreciated the time with you because we spent more time with you than any of the coaches there. So that's true. Yeah. Fortunately, you you made me the, <laughs> yeah, you made me the best player that I could be. So I appreciate, I appreciate that. that. I, I'll tell you what, I really appreciate uh, the times that you've taken me backstage with my friends and family before the, uh, each concert and uh, being able to do a little breakdown with the band and, uh, I'm going to be really oh, looking yeah. forward to the next one. Uh, if you ever make it back, around uh around our area uh you're in pennsylvania right now which is where i'm from but the other side of the state but uh but yeah i always really yeah we're easter that. hey for real anytime yeah anytime you got friends you're always more than welcome we got the we got the setup back here we got the the other night we had s'mores and a, it's turned a little bit less from slugging jack daniels every night we had s'mores the other night sitting around a fire and felt like we were little kids again so yeah, you're welcome anytime. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate everything. This has been awesome. Uh, I know a lot of people will love to listen to this. Uh, really appreciate your candor today. And uh, is there anything else you want to mention before I do my little closing? 
Nah, I'll uh, I'm gonna shoot you that album though. Uh, at least a group of the songs from the album. Um, I okay. want you, I want to listen to it. Let me know what you think. It's good stuff. It's better music than I've ever made. That's awesome. Great to hear. Well, this is Jeff Connor signing off for uh, Absolute Empowerment and ArmoredLife.org. Uh, remember, the body is a temple. Treat it as such. Uh, if you need a prayer or a mentor, uh, go to ArmoredLife.org and, and fill out the information at the bottom of the homepage, and we'll be in touch. Appreciate it. God bless, and thank you very much. Good talking to you, Coach. You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go Pirates!